Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Go BYLK News Radio. This is the Bob Cordaro Show podcast. We're back, hour number two. Bob Cordaro with you. And a couple, well, first, let me let me get back to our veterans. The veterans we lost. Edward Belosian, Taylor. Butch Colombo, Glenburn. William Wickheiser, Nicholson. R.J. Whiting, Falls. Thomas Waronko, Scranton, and Eddie D'Agostino. That's a that's man, that's a great lineup. Condolences to their families. Thanks to their families, and obviously posthumous thanks to them. Well, I, I hope you've settled into your day. Because the club club for common sense has convened once again. We do provide that. Absolutely essential sanctuary of sanity for all of you in this insane world. Everything's upside down. Everything. It really is. With the President of the United States calling it cruel to prevent children from being sexually altered irretrievably. That's cruel. Man. I did not ever think we'd get to this level of stupidity. Now, one reason we got to this level of stupidity is because of the abject rejection of history. Now, and I mean truth in history by idiots like Joe Biden and the Democrat left. The regressives. See, they, history needs to be assaulted by them. So, you know, some of you ask, and by the way, most of you, in fact, I'd say all of you appreciate when we go into history. It is so important to remember all aspects of history when we're making decisions for today. And that's why we are so fortunate to have found our friend, patent attorney Rick Bigelow, who has, he's an expert on the Far East and the military conflicts we've had there beyond parallel. And he joins us again today. Rick Bigelow, how are you? 
I'm doing fine, Bob. How are you? Good, good. Good to be back with you. Well, today you want to discuss MacArthur's escape from the Philippines in March of 1942. Have at it, my friend. Okay, uh, let me give a little bit of background on uh, MacArthur. He was born in 1880 at an Army base in Little Rock, Arkansas, which at the time was still kind of uh, on the frontier. His father was Arthur MacArthur, who had won the Medal of Honor during the Civil War and eventually became Governor General of the Philippines after the Spanish-American War. You'll see that the MacArthurs have a long and involved history with the Philippines. That's uh, fascinating. His mother was... Yeah, his his mother was Mary Pinckney Hardy from Norfolk, Virginia. And and uh, because she was from Norfolk, that's where Douglas MacArthur chose to have his uh, memorial and library and museum, uh, which is odd because Norfolk is the ultimate Navy, Navy town. town yeah. he's, the, he's the ultimate Army guy and very yeah. rarely had anything good to say about the Navy. <laughs> <laughs> He's got uh, two brothers, one who died of measles at the age of five, but his other brother was a Navy captain uh, who was a Naval Academy grad, but he, uh, he was on his way to Admiral without a doubt, but he died of appendicitis at the age of 47. Hmm. So Douglas was married a couple times, once to a wealthy socialite from Baltimore, and the second time to uh, Gene Faircloth of uh, of Tennessee, who he uh, stayed married to from 1937 until his death in 1964. They have uh, one son, Arthur MacArthur IV, who was born in Manila in 1938. So Douglas had uh, quite a career uh, in the Army. He uh, graduated from West Point with the third highest score ever. He was the first captain, which meant he was in charge of the Corps of Cadets. No, I was up at West Point. Let me, let me ask this question, Rick Bigelow. I was at West Point, and they, sh and I think I'm correct. We went to the hotel. All right, mm -hmm. there's that famed hotel up there. It's blanking on the name of it now. And they showed me the suite where, I, boy, did he live there or did his mother live there? I'm trying to remember now. His like, mother lived there. <laughs> yes. She moved when when he the day he started at West Point. She moved into that hotel and stayed there for at least two years, uh, completely stayed there. And I think she was there parts of the other years, too. So uh, she was your, your basic uh, domineering mother, and uh, she wasn't going to let her, her son get too far from her view. The in interesting thing about that was one other uh, woman who moved into the hotel at the same time was the mother of Ulysses S. Grant III. Mm. who was uh, General Grant, President Grant's grandson. And he went on to graduate from West Point and had a distinguished career as an Army engineer. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and as you can imagine, both those guys, since they were son of World War of uh, Civil War heroes, uh, were in for a lot of hazing <laughs> yeah. uh, on the part of the Corps of Cadets. But they both made it through and both had distinguished careers. So after uh, Douglas graduated from West Point, he went to the Philippines. And, of course, he got malaria there, just like just about anybody who went to the Philippines at that point in time. Uh, in 1905, he was assigned to Tokyo to accompany his father on a tour of uh, 
of the Far East, so he went to just about all the countries, including Japan, and uh, he and his father actually watched uh, the uh, the Japanese army in action against the Russians in 1905 during the Russo-Japanese War. Uh, came back to Washington, he, he became an aide to Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, in 1914, he took part in the Veracruz campaign, and uh, something that uh, a lot of people don't know about was we had a lot of military actions against the Mexicans, uh, starting with the 1848 Mexican-American War, and there were continual border incursions. Uh, there was this Veracruz incident in 1914 where MacArthur was recommended for the Medal of Honor for his actions. And, of course, uh, once it got up to uh, to the Army Department in Washington, they denied it. Uh, hmm. And also in 1916-1917, uh, General Pershing led uh, incursions into Mexico to go after Pancho Villa. So there, there have been a lot of uh, a lot of military actions going on back and forth between the United States and Mexico. In 1916, MacArthur became head of the Army's Bureau of Information, which is basically the public relations for the Army. And it was at this point in time he really began to understand how important. Uh, public relations and, and having your name in the press was uh, to the future of any Army generals. Uh, in 1917, he takes part in World War One, becomes chief of staff of the Rainbow Division in World War One in France. He was recommended for the Medal of Honor, but once again it was turned down. He won a Distinguished Service Cross, seven silver stars, mm. the French Croix de Guerre, and a purple heart because he was gassed in the trenches. Now, even if, I mean, his, his accomplishments in World War I were considerable. Uh, he was known as, uh, as a fighter, a, a great uh, leader of men, uh, but he was always trying to make a name for himself. He never wore a gas mask, never wore a helmet, and walked around the battlefield with this big scarf around his neck <laughs> and just, just so he would stand out. Uh, but, but that's the way he was. He comes back uh, to the States in 1919, becomes superintendent of West Point. Uh, then he heads the military district in Manila. 1925, at the age of 45, is promoted to major general. He was the youngest ever. Served on the court-martial of Billy Mitchell, uh, headed the U.S. Olympic Committee in 1928, and then went back to the Philippines, where he assumes command of all U.S. forces. In 1930, Hoover appoints him to be Army Chief of Staff, and he was only 50 years old at the time. Usually the Army Chief of Staff would be 60 years old or so, and he'd serve as uh, Chief of Staff, and then he'd retire. Uh, but MacArthur was, was uh, unusual in that he was only 50 years old when he became Chief of Staff. The one incident that he survived was the 1932 Bonus Army incident. And this was an incident where, uh, and of course, this was during the height of the Depression, and a whole bunch of veterans who had been uh, promised, basically, that they would be compensated for their service in World War One, and a lot of whom were unemployed, had lost their homes, and so on and so forth. So they had a, a large contingent 
of around 40,000 veterans who came to Washington, D.C. To, uh, to lobby and petition to get their, uh, their bonuses early. The bonuses were supposed to be paid in 1945, but since these guys were out of work and didn't have any money, no homes, they asked for Congress to, uh, to uh, advance when the, the payments would come. So they, they took up uh, land along the Anacostia River, and there were several incidents where they took, uh, they, they basically built these, uh, what they called Hooverville type of settlements along the Anacostia River. Some of the veterans took over abandoned buildings in Washington, D.C., and basically the, uh, the D.C. police tried to get them out. Hoover told MacArthur to uh, remove all the veterans from uh, the encampment across the Anacostia River, and uh, but he said, don't go into the encampments, and we don't want any, uh, any negative publicity coming out of this. We just want them to be gone. Well, MacArthur claims he never heard the, uh, the command that he wasn't supposed to go in and route them out of the, the, uh, the Hooverville type of thing. So he, against uh, the wishes and the recommendation of his chief of staff at that time, who was Dwight Eisenhower, and uh, along with a contingent of tanks, that were led by George Patton uh, went in and, and basically removed all the, uh, the bonus marchers, the bonus army people from there. A couple people were killed, but there were big fires and there was all kinds of gas. There are pictures of uh, army soldiers going around with gas masks on and so on and so forth. That was a, a very negative inc- incident. And it was, uh, it was, it was something that, that uh, the press really latched onto, but they blamed Hoover and not MacArthur. So he survived that. You know, today he would have he would have never survived that sort of thing. Uh, generally, the Army Chief of Staff serves for four years. 1934, FDR had been president for a couple years, and he extended him for another year. So he had a five-year term of staff uh, term as uh, Army Chief of Staff. 1935, he retires from the Army, and the Army had a problem because he was only uh, 55 years old, and he still had another 7 to 10 years of service. They didn't really know what to do with him. Uh, finally, uh, they, they, uh, FDR made a deal with uh, the Filipinos that MacArthur would become the field marshal of the Philippine military, and that therefore he would be out of Washington, which is what FDR really wanted. <laughs> He'd be 8,000 miles away. So that was fine with FDR. And, and so MacArthur goes to the Philippines, and he takes along his, his uh, chief staff officer, Major Dwight Eisenhower. In 1938, he officially retired from the U.S. Army. So when he was in the Philippines, he, he lived sort of like a king. Yeah. He, uh, he had the whole top floor of the Manila Hotel, which was one of the few places in the Philippines that actually had air conditioning in it. He was paid a handsome sum of money, plus he was promised uh, a further sum of money when, uh, when he finally uh, retired as field marshal of the Philippines. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. All right. I want to take so, a break, uh, Rick Bigelow. We're talking about... Uh, General MacArthur, 
his career leading up to the 1942 escape from the Philippines. We're going to take a break on the Bob Cadaro Show. We'll return with Rick Bigelow after this. And we're back. Rick Bigelow, our guest, and we're talking to him about uh, MacArthur. And we played the I, because I've got to move it up a little bit. We played the I Shall Return, and... Man, this was it was a harrowing departure, but not so much for as much for MacArthur as it was for our soldiers who were captured, was it? Yeah, uh, MacArthur uh, left uh, the Philippines. He was ordered out by uh, by FDR uh, in February, and he uh, asked FDR if he could uh, delay it until the time was more opportune. So he left in uh, about March 13th of 1942 in the evening, and it took him a couple days in uh, four PT boats, he and his staff and his family, uh, to to make it down to Mindanao to the Dole Plantation there, or pardon me, the Del Monte Plantation, where there were some airstrips, and they flew in B-17s from, uh, from Australia, and he was able to fly uh, into Australia. Uh, but the, the issue was he was, he was leaving, but there were, you know, 60,000 American and Filipino troops on Bataan and they were in for a rough several months and an even rougher several years as captives of the Japanese. So he leaves on, uh, March 13th, gets down to Australia and uh, he, he uh, they went to land at Darwin in Australia, but uh, Darwin actually was under attack at that point in time. The Japanese actually had several attacks, uh, air attacks on Australia, uh, Darwin and, and uh, Townsville in the, the eastern part of Australia. And there was great concern that the Japanese were going to attack and take over Australia. So when MacArthur got there, he was... He was uh, looked upon by the Australian press and government and people as the savior because at the time, Australia only had a population of about 8 million, and most of their troops were over in the Middle East uh, fighting as part of the British Commonwealth uh, troops who were uh, going against the Germans and the Italians in North Africa. So uh, FDR made a deal with the Australians. I'll send MacArthur you let him be the uh, head of all the military in Australia, and uh, then we'll, we'll uh, protect Australia. So they, they allowed him to do that. But when he gets down to uh, the southern part of Australia, makes his I Shall Return speech, originally it was written up for him by his staff that we shall return, meaning the United States <laughs> yeah. would return to the Philippines he scratched out we and inserted I, <laughs> which just goes to show you a little bit of, of the ego of the man. Um, but anyway, it became a, a very famous saying. And, it, you know, frankly, it would have been just as powerful if he said, we shall return, in, in my opinion. Uh, so, like I said, they were greeted with wild enthusiasm in Australia. And when, when he got to Australia... He was under the impression that there was a large American force there and that they would uh, 
immediately start training and return to the Philippines within a few months and uh, and rescue all the uh, the American and Filipino troops that have been held captive. But what he found out was there are very few troops in Australia. And he his original uh, orders from from the chiefs of staff was to hold Australia and defend Australia. But he started making plans immediately to return to the Philippines. Unfortunately, the Japanese were not cooperating, and they attacked and, and took over the northern part of New Guinea. So not only was he going to have to get his troops ready in the Philippines, he was going to have to take New Guinea on the way to the Philippines. So it took him another two and a half years to get back to the Philippines in October of 1944. But he did, in fact, return. Rick Bigelow, thank you very much. What's what's next on our agenda? I think uh, we'll, we'll talk about Okinawa sometime in April. All right. I look forward to it, my friend. Thank you, as always. And anytime we want to delve deeper into Douglas MacArthur, I, I was a fan of American Caesar by William Manchester myself. So uh, look forward to it. Okay, Bob. Rick, and, and keep getting those patents for people, will you? <laughs> okay, that's right. That's your day job. Yep. <laughs> Rick Bigelow, our Far East military historian and uh, outstanding patent attorney. Bob Cadaro, the eponymous show rolls on. We're going to come back with Brian Reap after the weather. He's running for Lackawanna County Commissioner. Here's the Storm Tracker 16 forecast from meteorologist Joe Snedeker. Today, mostly cloudy with snow. It'll be very windy. Depending on elevation, a trace to six plus inches of snow is possible. High of 34. Tonight, snow tapers off. It'll be cloudy, low of 25. Tomorrow, decreasing clouds, flurries, windy, high of 40. Thursday, sun and clouds, high of 50. So there's a county commissioner's race in Lackawanna County. And the current incumbents, one of the current incumbents, Debbie Dominic, who has been just a hot mess since she's been in office, uh, has decided not to run. I don't know what she was promised or if she was promised anything, but she's decided not to run. So the thing, things are open, and I guess there's at least three Democrats running. And at least three, maybe four Republicans running for the nominations. One of those is former Scranton City Councilman Brian Reap, and he is with us now. Brian Reap, how are you? I'm good, Bob. Thanks for having me on today. Well, it, it's been, uh, what, 20 years since you have been around in the, the political milieu, uh, but you've returned to run for Lackawanna County Commissioner uh, and the Republican nomination uh, thereof. Uh, tell us about it. Well, before that, Bob, let me share a little story. I just had a phone call from a friend of mine who's going to the Yankee game down in Tampa at 1 o'clock. Uh, he says it's 82 degrees, sunny, <laughs> and I'm sitting in a parking lot right now, Bob, off of Spruce Street, and I'm looking at snow everywhere, water, dampness, <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, what am I doing here? You, wouldn't, doing? you wouldn't be anyplace else. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, you, know, you know what? It, it has, it has uh, ignited some fire in my belly once again, and, uh, and I, you know what? I've been talking about a return to politics for many years, and I had to wait for the right time. Uh, I finally uh, retired after a 41-year career with a, a great private uh, company here in locally in uh, the Scranton area. And that was the second week of uh, December. 
So uh, we came home. Uh, we put up the Christmas tree. Uh, we had Christmas with the kids and grandkids in Philly. We came. We took down the Christmas tree, and uh, my wife and I looked at each other and said, what are you going to do now? I said, um, well, the only thing I know is how to make paint and, and people, so I guess um, I'm going to take a shot at this commissioner's race. I said, uh, there's one of uh, – I see myself in one of those three seats, and uh, and that's what my goal is. I, I want to end up uh, being a part of a governing body that has an impact on our, our everyday lives. And if I'm going to finish out uh, my life and the life of my wife and my family here and, and my friends – um, I want to have a say about how we're going to govern, and I want to know that good government and common sense still exist. So you've gone through the process. You've you've filed your nominating petitions. You have uh, what was it? Two fifty required. How many were required? Two fifty. And you've got five something, right? So you're in pretty good I shape. In, there. I think around five seventy, slightly five eighty, slightly under six hundred. And uh, and I'll tell you what, that was an education in itself because uh, it certainly took me back to uh, twenty plus years. You know, walking the streets trying to find be- Republicans behind these doors. Uh, but uh, we got through it. Uh, but it was it brought me back to where I once was. Well, uh, so tell us what's what is your game plan? Politically, there's there's an there are endorsed Republicans running, and yes. a, a endorsed Republican team running. Uh, so you've got to make that up with shoe leather. Absolutely, um, the party endorsed uh, last night, um, and I, I sat through the process. It was kind of unusual because in my two previous campaigns in Scranton, uh, I ran obviously as a Republican. I, I was uh, unopposed, and, and the endorsement process really didn't come into play. But I sat through the endorsement process last night, and uh, and I, I kind of believed that it was not going to go in my direction, especially being away for for so many years. But uh, I also was impressed that the endorsement process was, uh, I think, a lot closer than uh, I think some people had thought it would be. So with that, I got some encouragement that I think there might be some some room here that, uh, you know, maybe some people will take a look at repeat even if it's been over two decades. So the campaign has begun in earnest. Uh, there's only about eight weeks, correct? When is the prim- or the uh, primary? The primary is May 16th. Uh, you got eight weeks, and then you have Holy Week in there, which kind of neutralizes some political activity, which it should. Uh, so really, in earnest, you have seven solid weeks to, to accomplish uh, a victory here. Well, Brian Reap, you are back in the game, and uh, we'll keep following you. Uh, we'd like to have you up as a follow-up just to talk about your platform, what you want to do as county commissioner. Uh, so anytime you're ready, we are here. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for your friendship. Thanks for the opportunity. All right. Brian Reap, Republican candidate for Lackawanna County Commissioner. We'll take this break. We'll be back on the Bob Cadaro Show. Paul Revere and the Raiders, March 14th, 1966. He released the hit single, Kicks. I never heard that song before. Murph finds this stuff. He really is a remarkable music historian for the show. He really is. And I know you guys love it. I know you guys love it. So that's good stuff. Uh, Joe Pepitone, New York Yankee, baseball player. He's supposed to be the next Mickey Mantle, all that. He uh, died today at age 82. Thank you to a number of our listeners for getting in touch and telling us that. We, we looked it up. And confirmed it, and uh, yeah, Joe Pepitone, quite a character. 
Never knew how to handle money. <laughs> I read his book, You Could Have Made Us Proud, Joey. Oh, what a fascinating, and I mean open, discussion of a crazy, wild life. Really amazing. And so, Joe, but Joe Pepitone, uh, the next big thing, uh, but a, a sad, sad thing, you know? Uh, we're watching these guys, although he, he cost my friend Jimmy Brazetti a fortune. <laughs> my late friend Jimmy Brazetti. Uh, because Joe Pepitone, Joe Pep was what he was. You gave him money, it was gone in two seconds. And Jimmy Rossetti would give you the shirt off his back, and he gave the shirt off his back to Joe Pepitone, and Pepitone took it <laughs> with with relish, I might add. Somebody texted it, hey, Bob, when's our local girl going to be on The Voice? I have not uh, heard back. I have not heard back. Noel was keeping in touch with us on it. If you remember, Noel told us last week it was either Monday and Tuesday of last week or Monday and Tuesday of this week. Alyssa Lazar. And she is outstanding. Uh we're sort of, I, I left it to Noel to keep us in touch on that. But if she wasn't on last Monday or last Tuesday or this Monday, I guess that leaves tonight. Eight o'clock, The Voice. I think it's NBC. Let's go to Bloomberg Money Minute. Then we're going to come back with another Republican candidate for Lackawanna County Commissioner, Chris Chermack, after this. We are back. A lot of people texting in about Joe Pepitone. Uh, remembering Phil Rizzuto make the call. That's a home run for Pepe. Hey, Bob, Joe Pepe was the first major leaguer to have a hair dryer installed in the clubhouse. And if you read uh, Joey, you could have made us proud. <laughs> There's a lot of stories I can't mention on the radio. Hilarious. Uh, we're honoring today. A group of veterans we've lost within the last month. Edward D'Agostino, Eddie, U.S. Navy corpsman. Thomas Waronko, U.S. Army, Korea, State Police, Pennsylvania State Police. R.J. Whiting of Falls. William Wickheiser of Nicholson. Butch Colombo of Glenburn. Edward Wolosian of Taylor. Good men all and... Uh, People who, just the fabric of society. Fabric of society. Well, we had Brian Reap on, who is running for the nomination, the Republican nomination for Lackawanna County Commissioner. And joining us now is Chris Chermack, who is uh, on the endorsed team for the, that same Republican nomination. Commissioner Chermack, welcome. Good morning. So, just to... You mentioned Jimmy Brzezetti. Well, I'll tell you what, with baseball season right around the corner, we're going to miss him tremendously. What, oh. what a great, great guy he was. So, you are right about yeah, that. And he, he, was still, he was still with us and, and, and around for last baseball season at, at uh, PNC Park. And, mm. yep. yep, he loved it. He loved it. So we'll miss him, absolutely. So, yeah, yeah we, uh, 
we got the endorsement last night. So, you know, thank you to the executive committee. Um, so, uh, but they, they realized that, you know, Diane and I, both Diana Campbell and myself have a, a great opportunity here. And, um, you know, that's why my, my team that we put together, you know, we, we narrowed it down to Diana. I think she's going to be the person that helps win the majority. That's our goal. Absolutely. Well, you've got only eight weeks. And as Brian Reed pointed out, you've got a, um, a holy week in the middle there. So there's not a lot of time to campaign. So you got to get a lot. So the endorsement was, well, we I'm sure, a, very helpful. Yeah, that, that absolutely. That 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 certainly helps. But we, you know, we are the only team in the whole race running, Democrat or Republican. So, you know, it was pretty much that should be the way it should be that we get the endorsement. But we have lots of meet and greets planned. We're going to be up at the Peanut Bar in Carbondale on Monday night, and we have many others to follow. So we'll be out and around. Uh, lots of opportunities for people to get out and meet us. Um, most of our events are free, so that that helps. Um, but we're in good shape. Got a lot of uh, you know social media stuff happening, so we, we got a lot going on. We're, we're we're getting out there. Well, with uh, were you surprised that Debbie Dominic did not run? I, I I was surprised, but it makes all the sense in the world. I just thought she was. I mean, it was just such a hot mess while she was in office. I thought, how can this continue? Well, it, 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 well, I'm, I'm happy that it's not going to continue, that's for sure. Um, was I surprised? I don't know. I could have went either way. I wasn't sure really. You never know what she's going to do, but, you know, she's not, so that's that. We'll move forward, but, yeah. Chris Chermack, are there three or four candidates for the Republican nomination? Uh, there's four. There's Diana, myself, Lorraine Cummings, and Reed. Okay. Uh, yeah, well, it's so. it's I, I, my own view is this. I've I've always felt like the more the merrier. Uh, if people feel they've got something to offer and to contribute, run, and it will make for stronger candidates in the fall. There's not even a doubt about well, that in my mind. That's it, and that's that's right. And you know, we have a solid team. We have a great, you know, we have great backing. A lot of people helping out. Um, you know, even even getting our petitions, you know, between Diane and myself, we got over 2,000 signatures. So, uh, you know, we're, we're, we were off and running right from the start. Um, but I think we'll do a great job out on the campaign. And I think she'll make a an excellent, excellent commissioner. I mean, she's well involved. She's president of Council Mayfield Borough. She knows what's going on. She's proven herself for the over the past eight years. And she knows how government works. And we're the team that's just not going to quit on everybody. We are going to be there. I, I never miss a day, and we're going to continue that. Commissioner, Commissioner Chermack, um, I would I would love to have you guys. You let me know. We'll have the two of you on, you and Diane and Campbell, and uh, to, to go over your platform in the near future and what you want to do as commissioners. The the political part will work its way out, but but the policy part is what I want to talk about uh, with the two of Absolutely. you. Absolutely. So I, I look Absolutely. forward to that, and you are welcome anytime, as you know. I appreciate that, and I will be talking to you soon. We have a lot of work to do, and um, I just need somebody that wants to work as hard as I do, and she's definitely the one. All right, endorsed county Republican uh, county commissioner candidate Chris Chermack, he along with Diane Campbell are the endorsed team. Thanks for checking in with us. 
Gotcha. Talk to you soon. All right. We'll take this break. Time for the news. Paula Degen is going to tell us all of that, and then we'll come back. WYLK News Radio. This is the Bob Cordaro Show Podcast. All star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.